Let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV LP FM, and we are happy to be here. By we, that's me. I'm happy to be here, and you are listening to Health is a Human Right. No matters, Health is a Human Right. WHIV is a community radio station, and we provide a platform for independent voices with your support. All WHIV hosts and DJs are volunteers. That's right. We do this service for the community because now more than ever, we need a radio station that's dedicated to human rights and social justice. And at WHIV, we are also New Orleans' only voice of dissent. So please consider becoming a monthly member of WHIV by setting up recurring donations of any amount that you wish. You can donate as much or as little as you want per month. Uh, You can make a one-time donation, a dollar, five dollars a month, ten dollars a month, or go all Bernie Sanders style and give us 27 a month. That's great. All that money that comes to us goes directly to keeping these progressive and dissenting voices on air. That's also uh, all these voices uh, that you hear are all uh, also progressive voices uh, and all money that you give to WHIV is all tax deductible. You can help our station by buying a WHIV t-shirt, hoodie, mug from our online store. So go to whivfm.org and click donate. Thank you for your continued support. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with a radio station. End all wars. It's really an honor and pleasure to have with us today for the full hour somebody for whom um, I actually... was uh, just literally walking through an art market and I found his book and uh, it was really an amazing book and a compelling book and we're going to get into the details of of that book. It's called The Hidden South and it's great to have the author, uh, Mr. Brent Walker, uh, on uh, with us uh, for the full hour to talk about uh, this amazing uh, piece of work uh, that he has done. And uh, I'm also uh, looking to see if we can uh, take some of that amazingness that he has brought to his book and possibly bring it to WHIV on a more regular basis uh, as well. Uh, more information uh, can be found at The Hidden South. It's thehiddensouth.com, right? Yes. And then you also have a Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram at The Hidden South uh, as well. And uh, Brent is a uh, photographer by trade, and also this is his first book. And uh, I'm just super looking forward to this conversation and all the things that we will be talking about, which are all the basic themes that fall under the category of human rights and social justice. So Brent, welcome to WHIV. Welcome to NOLA Matters. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I guess let's just quickly just kind of just tell us a quick bit about yourself and then uh, where you're from, how you ended up in New Orleans. And then I just would love to just dive into the Hidden South uh, as it really, I I sat down and pretty much read the book cover to cover uh, in one sitting. And that that is the sort of book that you can do that with. And of course, the stories of HIV were the ones that were particularly of interest for me as an HIV doctor. But um, maybe just tell us a bit about yourself uh, and how you found yourself in 
in, in New Orleans now? Because I know you're not from New Orleans and you sometimes, I think you live in Mexico sometimes, right? Well, I no, I've been talking about going to Mexico and Got working it. on another, uh, another project on the border. Um, but for, I grew up in Atlanta, just north of Atlanta in the Burbs. Right. Um, and I've spent most of my life in Atlanta. For the last three years or so, I've been traveling around full time in an RV and just living in different places. Right. Spent a lot of time here and a lot of time in Asheville, just uh, upstate New York, kind of just going all over the place. But my primary focus is on uh, sharing stories of people that I meet in the South, um, because I think we have a lot of work to do. That's the primary reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, and by a lot of work, we're talking about work <laughs> that's all probably uh, loosely associated or even directly associated around poverty, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is around poverty and race. And, um, you know, a, a lot of the work that we need to do is around acceptance of people who have or different sexualities and, uh, yeah. I mean, right. I lot. know. It, the, the, and we'll get into the book because there's a lot yeah. there yeah. about that. And then there was a lot of it about addiction that I really you Absolutely, know, yeah. was able to kind of really get into as well. So so originally from Atlanta mm-hmm. and then you took up photography as uh, as a profession, as a hobby, as as your thing or. Yeah, I um, I used to be the creative director for SunTrust Bank um, years ago and I got laid off from that job and kind of got the photography bug and just started shooting. Well, then a bank had a creative director. Yeah. 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 It's about the least creative job you could have, but <laughs> as a creative director, but, um, I, I was that for a while. Got and, it. And, um, so yeah, I, I knew I didn't want to do that anymore. Okay. Um, and so I, I started with the camera and I started doing all types of things. And really, um, I think from the beginning, what I wanted to do was tell the stories of, of people who didn't have a voice, but I didn't know how to do that for years. And so, um, I so did because at this point, yeah. sorry, were you just kind of like, just like, I, I mean, I would imagine Atlanta is not unlike mm-hmm. New Orleans, but nothing is quite like New Orleans, but I would imagine that there's probably a lot of similarities and were you just noticing these similarities is that why you wanted to tell these stories and and you hadn't quite got to that point of doing it with a camera yet or what what where was that interest in you I guess I'm trying to get to kind of what what lit that spark for you that ultimately give us the hidden south well I think the the spark was lit by my father um he had a house for homeless people when I was a kid there we go okay yeah and so (laughs) you know I grew up I grew up in a, a pretty um middle class to upper middle class environment but my dad always had homeless people around and he didn't you know it wasn't something we were scared of you know I heard their stories and I heard what they'd been did through. you open up your house to homeless people no no okay um, so he kind of ran like he was the executive director he rented, of, uh, he rented a house in Alpharetta he did things just under the table really I mean he rented this house and he let people live there for free um and so he paid the bills every month and there were probably at one time like eight guys living there they all share you know they shared rooms and stuff Wow. but he was a he was a very religious person and I'm I'm not but um I think he and I both shared the the passion of kind of you know the underdog helping the underdog out um empathy compassion yeah, yeah he was he he you know while we didn't agree on you know religious issues he walked the walk right you know, and I, I got to witness that right um but and also his best friend was homeless off and on you know and and like uh so that was part of my existence. And then as I became an adult, I had my own issues with addiction. And so as a result of that, you know, I had, 
I mean, some of the most important people in my life have been in recovery or whatever. And you hear all those stories, you know, you know how compelling those stories are. You know that it's not true that people are just lazy. You know, it's just it's. uh, So I wanted to tell the stories, you know, I wanted to hear the reasons why and share those reasons why. Um, And also the first line in my book is something to the effect of, you know, you're only as sick as your your secrets. And that's something that I heard, you know, early on in my own recovery was you're only as sick as your secrets. And I carried around my own secrets for many years, things that happened to me as a child. And once I was able to let go of those, it it really helped me um, make better decisions. It didn't cure everything from the beginning, but it was the beginning, beginning to, to healing for me. And so part of it was just giving people the opportunity to talk about those things and let them go. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously, that's, that's the book. Um, and, and we'll jump to that real quickly. So a large part of your kind of youth was growing up was obviously being influenced by somebody like your father. Uh, you know, and I oftentimes I'm an atheist, but I grew up in a very, very religious Jewish home. I mean, like very very zionist home that i have my own <laughs> issues with i right. proudly atheist and yeah. and stepped away from that even as a teenager really like my first biology class when they started talking about evolution you yeah. know and i was like whoa there's like really there's like there's it's not just seven days and all that stuff yeah. like no and i was like <laughs> i'm going with that you know i was too young to understand yeah. the decision i was making yeah. but certainly in retrospect now it was obviously the right thing for me to do but but I hear you, you know, there are there are pockets of people for whom that really do walk the walk. And, yeah. you know, I, I you know, I was I, I, I did this crazy trip with my wife um, about five or six years ago. We went to um, the uh, uh, it was the Creation Museum. Oh, yeah. Right? In Kentucky, right? right? Yeah. Have you ever heard of this place? I've heard or? of it, yeah. I've, I've gone to a similar thing. I think it was somewhere in Florida, but yeah. Yeah. I've is is it, it the, the Bible? The Bible park? or po- the, Yeah, possibly yeah. so. Because I want to go check. That's next on my list of things to do because... It was something. It's yeah. it's crazy, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so 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 I'll tell you. So the, the Creation Museum was a really, really crazy place because yeah. it could also be called the Evolution Museum. Right. And it was very brilliant what they did was they set up... And so I, I you know, I studied evolution for my, yeah, you know, that was kind of my focus as a biology major mm-hmm. to go to pre, to go to medical school. Right. Yeah. And so evolution was kind of my thing. So I have a particular interest in evolution, right? It's fascinating for me. That's sounds like that's what that a pivotal thing in your life. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. It, was, right. it was. Yeah. Right. So yes, it was a pivotal thing in my yeah. life. Right. So, <clears throat> so I, so when you get to the evolution, the creation museum, it's obviously it's very religious and whatever, but when you, and it's, they have some crazy things. They like dinosaurs and people, they have Adam and Eve with dinosaurs and the animatronics <laughs> are really amazing. Right. You should go just for the animatronics yeah. itself. Right. Yeah. But when you start getting into the, beyond the, the fluff of the Adam and Eve, they get into like real evolutionary conundrums. Like why do fish that live like th- three miles under the ocean or two miles under the ocean don't have eyes? Well, there's no sun, so there's no need for eyes and fish. And so they will give like an elaborate, like the third year college essay that's like two or three paragraphs and it's somewhat, and it's all very, very accurate on, on the right side of the, uh, of the, of the exhibit. And on the left side of the exhibit, they have like something that says something like, cause the Bible said so, <laughs> right. right. Or, or yeah. God said so. Right? Yeah, and, right. And, and, and so, so it, it the, and so when you're just going through quickly, or if you're just some dude from, or you're a kid from the teenager from wherever, you see the booth or whatever, you see the thing, and it's like you got one side that's super easy to read, right? 
the Bible said so, or yeah. God said, or right. because I tell you to, to. And then the other side is this very elaborate, long, lengthy explanation. And it's 100% accurate, right? right? Yeah. That's why I call it the Evolution Museum, because right. it could also be, so it's totally accurate. So, and that's how they get you, right? So they're like, well, there's nothing, you know, here's man's word, which is science, and here's God's world, right? <laughs> so you get to the very end of it, right? And then at the end, you walk into this movie theater, and this is it's kind of like the life and times of Christ. We tried to skip it, but we were actually kind of, pushed into it sure. right yeah. like my wife and I escaped and they're like they came after us we were in the bathrooms <laughs> and they, they literally came after us they uh, it was a whole incident anyway so yeah. we go back and we watch it and I'm watching it and I've never really had an opportunity to think about Jesus right just never came up never really I mean yeah. he was this thing that exists in the world but I never really thought you but I, now I'm seeing a movie yeah, yeah so now yeah. it's a 25 minute movie and now I'm kind of sucked into his life and you know and I'm aware of him and I'm like and I look at at one point, and it ends violently, obviously. Like, right. I'm like, it's like, I was like, oh, they're like, they're nailing him into the crate. It was super sure. violent, right? Right. Yeah. But at one point, I look over to my wife, and I'm like, that dude looks like a cool dude, you know, yeah. minus like his open toed shoes and his long hair. <laughs> like, we'd be friends with him, you right. know, he was, he, and so that's the point that I'm yeah. making is that like, there are these pockets of, of like of really of kindness, compassion that religious that that religion does, and, and it's just been bastardized over the over the yeah. Over and time. I don't think I don't I don't personally think they they um, balance out the harm that religion does. I think no no <laughs> not, 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 not by not, a long shot not by a long shot. But yeah, my point was is I I got to witness somebody who uh, he he almost enjoyed. Like he used to do this thing where he would go downtown, Your dad. Down, downtown Atlanta, my dad, and he he was a member at the wealthiest church of God in the Southeast, Church of Mount Perrin Church of God. And he would take a whole van load of homeless people and bring them to the Mount Perrin Church of God and sit them on the front row. And he would do that every Sunday. And they to, didn't. And to the, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody probably liked him doing that, but he did it anyway. And nobody could say anything. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I would, is your dad still alive? Or? No, no. He passed away. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So, but he instilled in you a sense of fairness, of compassion, yeah. of empathy. I mean, are these that fair? And, and rebellion. Okay. I think, yeah. In rebellion. His, in his sure. Own way, sure. You know? Sure. Um, yeah, I think all those things. Yeah. yeah. So if you're tuning in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Nola Matters. Health is a human right. My name is Mark Allendary. I have with me somebody for whom I'm hopeful I'm going to be. It's my new closest friend, uh, Brent <laughs> Walker, who is uh, the author and photographer. He's the author of this great book called The Hidden South. I recommend everyone to go check it out. You can find more information about it at thehiddensouth.com. And he Facebooks, tweets, and Instagrams at The Hidden South. And we're going to get into the book in a second because it really was incredibly impactful on me as you could probably tell with my level of passion talking uh, uh, about this with with Brent so then all right so then we're now you uh, you picked up the camera and then somehow you kind of started interacting with folks yeah I think um, the first time it happened I was walking down by my house and it was south of um, south of Atlanta in Noonan Georgia and I was walking or I, I was working on a zine that I was just a little zine I was producing and zine in the age of the internet. Yeah. Is that even yeah, like, yeah. that's still oh, a yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. I, I was really it an online to... zine or was it? No, a... it was just, it was a paper still zine. Paper. Cool. Um, it's just one I wanted to do. And, and it was uh, called instant gratification. And basically 
um, I went around with an instant camera and oh, cool. asked people to pose however they thought was sexy, whatever they thought was sexy. And it's called instant gratification. It was a great little thing. Okay. But I met this, I met this street uh, or, or the sex worker uh, who was walking along the, the tracks and, and basically I, I asked her if I could photograph her. She did the whole thing and she was very, um, like she was sensuous or no, like, she was or, out there. She was just like, uh, she was just like, um, like, you know, like raw, like raw, yeah, raw, raw is the yeah, word. Yeah, okay. And, and, and I took the pictures and we got done and she asked me if I would take her to, to her dealer's house. And I was like, no, nah, I don't really feel comfortable with that. But you know, she started telling me her story. She started telling me all these intimate details about her life. And I, I ran home after that and I recorded it all as fast as I could because at the time I wasn't actually recording things. So um, you recorded it by hand? Well, I you? just, yeah, I just wrote it down right. real quick. This uh -huh. is what she said. She told me about her first sexual experience and the reasons why she preferred African-American men rather than white men and just all these things. And I didn't even have to interview her. It was just a conversation. And I guess it just dawned on me at that point, this thing had been floating around in my head for three years you know, I don't have to interview anybody. You know, it was that fear of like interviewing people that that held me back. It was just having a conversation. It was right. just um, sitting down on the curb with somebody and hearing their story. And you meet people where they are. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. So nobody comes like, for example, like I interview people for a living, but people come to my yeah. clinic. Right. Or they come here in front of these microphones, right? right? Yeah. Whereas what you do is you actually sit down with people with wherever they may mm -hmm. be and you do the, the you let them speak, I guess, to avoid yeah. the, using the word interview. Where yeah, they we just are. have a conversation. I mean, um, the really the way that the first book got created is I went to neighborhoods where I knew there was a lot of addiction and... Um, so the first book, the first book is the Hidden South, or is it yeah the Hidden South? Okay, got it. So, um, so that so all right, everybody, put a pin in that. So there's a second book. <laughs> that, that, there is a second book that's not out yet. Right, but, there but is a second book that's brewing that I can't wait in, to ask about in the can. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I just went to the neighborhoods where most people don't go, and I would stop people that looked like maybe they would be interesting to to talk to, and. Um, Typically, we would do the interview in my car just for safety reasons and noise, you know, to keep the noise down. Because you were now you actually got a, a I was going to say a tape recorder, but you got yeah. a digital recorder. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, nothing as age. fancy as a tape recorder. <laughs> right. It was more my phone. But got it. Uh, either way, it did the job. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I just started I just started doing that and I started posting online every day and. Um, and then that really, turned into really took off, and yeah. that and so you posted online on what a, a like a, a blog or a, yeah, was, I started was Facebook out, out at this point. Yeah, or? I started out on Facebook. Um, yeah, this was 2014, so it wasn't all that long ago. Right. Um, I started posting on my personal page first, and everybody loved it, and so I started a Facebook page, and that grew rapidly. Um, and then you know Instagram came later. Tumblr was really big for a while and I posted on Tumblr. I didn't even have a regular website for, for the first year or two. Right. Um, it was all Tumblr was kind of the center point. Right. Um, and then, and then ultimately came the, the book. And so what we're essentially, and so what essentially what the hidden South is as, as a published book, mm -hmm. uh, is basically a hundred stories, uh, with pictures with, uh, basically, 
uh, with a story that goes uh, with it. So you have a picture of, of the individual. Maybe you could sit and tell us some of the stories, uh, but you'll have a picture. So what, what grabbed me was, I think I was walking by and I saw something that said The Hidden South, and I think that by itself stopped me. But there was the picture that it was on the cover, and I don't even, I can't even remember, but I remember picking it up and opening it up, and I think it fell to a page that said addiction. So you had the stories mm-hmm. kind of um, classified, I think maybe into like, was it like, and I don't have the book with me, but was it like rape or addiction or sexual abuse? Well, or not, they were the stories I didn't want. I at, at first when I started putting the book together, I, I tried to do chapters and sections and all that stuff, and I figured out that I really didn't want that. It didn't make any sense to classify people in that way. But they were clustered together. They were. I? They weren't clustered. Well, okay. What you're referring to is the tags that are on the side of the page that are descriptive of that story. Got it. Okay, that's what and, it was. Then. And so really. The book was designed for somebody like me who doesn't like to read in a linear way. So if you're looking for something about addiction or about um, childhood abuse or something like that, then you can easily find that by skipping through and looking at the tags that are on the side of the page. Okay. Yeah. So really that was the thought was, um, I mean, there is a flow to the book, but there are no chapters. There are no, um, like there's not a whole section on this one topic. I didn't want that. I wanted there to be a flow so that the tags just really help you find what you're looking for and not right. have to look at the book in a linear way. Right. Or, right. Uh, and I think that's what I think I was, I think the stories that were the ones that I was looking at were the, I think the addiction ones. And then I didn't know if there was an HIV tag or not, but I, I found several stories of HIV. And again, mm-hmm. as an HIV specialist, it was, um, uh, it was, I, I felt like, and I think I told you this when we first met on the phone, that a lot of the stories that you told in, in the Hidden South and, and uh, was a lot of what I see on the day-to-day basis in, in my practice in right. New Orleans for the past 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I mean you, you epically told the same stories that I see every day in, in my practice, and I think that was what really bonded me to the book and to really focus on reaching out to you personally because yeah. you see it in a way that like at a re- at a at a level that I see it that I've never heard anybody explain quite as eloquently as you did in the book. Well, thank you. Um, I, I think that the the power of the project is in what you're talking about. It's in connection, and I, I feel like. Um, the way that you connected with it was through your your practice and and through what you do. I think a lot of people connect with it through a, a loved one or family member that has you know they've lost to addiction or they've lost to you know fentanyl overdose or you know whatever it is. Um, you know, I had a I had a lady come in. Um, I was doing a book signing one day, and she she had already bought one of my books, and she came back for another one to give to her twelve year old granddaughter. And I I said, you know. It's a heavy, co- yeah, heavy content. Yeah, it's heavy for a 12-year-old. Right. And she said she's already read quite a few of the stories in the book. And the fact is her mom's been in jail or in prison since she was two. And so she's been going to prison to visit her mom since she was two. And it the stories, while many are sad, helped her feel connected to her mom and to understand maybe why her mom made the decisions that she made and that type of thing. And so, um, I mean, it is all about connection. And I think really... Um, the the lack of connection is where our biggest societal problems are as well. So, um, I think the book does that beautifully. I mean, to a large connects. degree. I mean, isn't that 
uh, you know, and I don't want to oversimplify. I'm not a specialist in this, and this is not a thing for me. But isn't that a thing with addiction as well? Is is I mean, I've heard a lot of people who uh, have uh, uh, issues regarding addiction. Mm-hmm. Is that there's a, a difficulty in connecting with others? Yeah, uh, and this it, this leads to down a path of 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 addiction. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a. Um there's a phrase in, in, um, 12 step groups. People say you have a hole in your soul and you're trying to fill it up with alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. Um, and I, I see that hole in your soul, so to speak as a, a inability to connect, you know, your connections are broken. Right. And I think <clears throat> what, what <clears throat> I think 12 step groups in general could be improved in a lot of ways, but what they do well, um, through the steps and things like that, or they help, heal those connections and they help help um yeah i mean really that's it right it's it's about it is about healing connections right yeah Yeah, i mean and and so that 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 brings up an interesting uh path for us to maybe go down is is maybe i would love to hear what are the comments that you hear from people like i you know and i definitely would love to i'm going to go to the site and then also show you some pictures and i would love to hear some some stories uh and then maybe we can kind of then focus in on how society got us to where we're at. I know that we were talking about a bit about that when we were on the phone a couple weeks ago. Um, so what, what, what is the feedback? I mean, I, I would imagine that a lot of people either see themselves in this book. I, I'm sure that there's a visceral response. I know I had a deep visceral response yeah. and I've not had a visceral response to a book in a really long time. Sure. Uh, but I saw it caps encapsulated in, in a hundred plus stories or a hundred stories so many different, I'm like, Oh, well that's that person that I know. And that's that person that I know. And there's that person that I know. And I, I'm sure that's something you probably hear from other folks. Yeah. I mean, I, the feedback, my, my, the book, um, I never intended to create something that was palatable to everybody. Um, so I, I get one of two reactions, um, usually, and that's somebody is really, really drawn to the book. And, um, it, you can tell it's going to be like a, you know, a, a very important thing for them to get it and to read it and to, to experience it. And then there's another group of people that don't want that type of honesty. They don't want that type of truth, especially when they're on vacation, which is where I hit most people, you know, right. like, you know, they're, <laughs> right. they're just, they're, they're just they're, expecting they're, to have they, a little they, light. They uh, want to see a fleur de lis when they're walking, they, yeah. <laughs> a flattened yeah. wine bottle that's right. got like, a, you know, that's now a cheese board or something. Right. <laughs> right. Which there are many of, but I don't sell those. So. Right. Um, that's yeah. a good point. I had not thought of it. And it was, you yeah. know, where I, you know, I told you where I found the book. It was at a Christmas Mart. <laughs> And oh, yeah. uh, my wife and I were doing some Christmas shopping because that's the sort of Jews that we are. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and we were, uh, it, was the, it was the mart, it was the uh, art mart that's on magazine on the lakeside uh, side where there's a couple of them right there in that little cluster. I don't know what's yeah, Cross so. Street. It's probably what it is. Yeah. And, uh, and she was off somewhere and it was all, it was Christmas music was on and it was like, yeah. everything was all festive. And I was like, doop, doo, 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 doo. And then I was like, whoom. And I just uh, yeah. right in on it yeah. and that was I'm like oh that's mine and so <laughs> <laughs> yeah when I when I first started um you know I, when I first the book first came out I just decided to kind of just blow up my entire life and hit the road full time and um so I did that without much of a plan other than I've got a thousand books to sell right. and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go 
tell the world about this book. And I ended up going because it was it was like November. So there weren't weren't a lot of festivals other than Florida. So I went down like just the the uh, kind of east coast of Florida to all these little towns where there were seniors that were visiting and, and they were just expecting that, you know, the normal Florida festival fair. And when they would come up to my booth, they would get something a little different. But, right. Um, you know, and was, did people like some did, you know, yeah. I mean, even, you know, I, I found the hardest, um, the hardest audience to, to get the messages across to the stories across to are people that think very black and white. And a lot of the times that's in, small southern towns and it's in towns where you're either a a good person or you're a bad person you're either a a sinner or a saint you're either uh and sometimes that people the people who they hold up as a saint are oftentimes the sinners behind closed doors (laughs) well we have a half hour so (laughs) (laughs) let me start that engine (laughs) we we can start at the top and work our way down Uh, if you're tuning in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Health is a Human Right and All That Matters. My name is Mark Allendary. It's a great honor to have with me uh, Mr. Brent Walker, who is an author and photographer, has this amazing book called The Hidden South. Please go and check it out. You can find more information about the book at his website, thehiddensouth.com, and also uh, he Instagrams, Facebooks, and tweets at The Hidden South. It's yeah, really and I, I should say I don't tweet much. Um, Got it. But I am a, am a am Instagram and Facebook and those are my two you do those are your things right so you will find some great stories uh and really uh, stories that are told from the perspective of uh and that's one of the things about the book it's like you really look at the southern slice of life from all elements there's i found that uh you had elements uh looking there was there was just it was an incredibly inclusive uh look at who makes up the south uh when even when you look at um uh, identity uh uh, gender identity when you look at uh uh uh, sexual uh uh, orientation uh it just the whole the whole gamut uh it was really it was the stories that really drove you and and uh, maybe you can talk to us about some of the stories or some of the um what didn't make the book like and you had you have a hundred stories how many did you have to get to to get to a hundred I, th- I think um, I was somewhere around 200 um, and half of them got in. So what 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 made what were the, what was unique about the hundred that that got in? How, how do you make that decision as a writer? Well, all the stories are equally compelling, I would imagine. I, well, first of all, I don't think I mean, if I'm being completely honest, they're not all as compelling when you tell them in written form and some just work better in written form than others. So sure. it's not that they don't have a compelling story. It's just that maybe I didn't get there with them. Maybe, Got it. you know, um, so but, then what were you looking for then? What made for a compelling inclusion? I mean, complete and utter honesty and, right. and, and rawness. I mean, I was trying to create something that pulled no punches. So if I had an interview that was like that, it was definitely more likely to get in. Um, there were uh, one or two that were so graphically horrible, um, just so way on the other side. Yeah, then, right? way on the other side. <laughs> right, that I just couldn't include them. I was just too in there, and and it almost felt gratuitous in in the amount right. of horribleness that that right. person had to go through. Right. Um, 
So, but really, okay, here's the answer to your, to your question. <clears throat> One of the things I love about making a book is it's a container, right? So your each individual story is, is good on its own, but when you're creating a body of work, um, you're trying to tell a whole story and each story becomes a tool to tell that whole story with. And so some of the things that got pulled out or that weren't included were just, um, well represented already in another story. Um, and so I just, you just have to make decisions, uh, tough decisions about what to include and what not to include. I, I wanted to include everybody, but, um, it, it does, some of it gets repetitive. So I, I didn't want to be that. Right. Yeah. Right. So those are these decisions that as a writer you need to make to kind of determine what will also make for interesting reading as the reader who's reading all this information. Yeah, absolutely. Can we, can you talk to us, talk to us, t tell us some stories? Sure. Uh, you're going to, you're going to, yeah. Do you want to, I mean, here, I hear some right here. Are there, is there other, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a ton here. Yeah, there so. are hundreds on there. Now, none of these are, none of these that you're looking at that are on the top. Uh, we can talk about Nolan if you want. Yeah. Let's talk about Nolan. Yeah. Nolan, um, you know, the beautiful thing about Nolan's story, I met him on Decatur street, um, right. at one of the markets that I, that I, uh, sell my work at second line. Um, and I've known him for several years. He's a good guy. He, he comes by and he um, he'll he'll find stuff like um, I, I used to date somebody that did uh, metal jewelry, and he would bring her stuff, and and she would uh, you know she'd give him a few bucks for it or whatever. He's always out there working. He's always. He's, but anyway, what he told me he told me the story about New Orleans. He was really my first um, story in this new series that I'm working on. And he told the story of being homeless in New Orleans and what a uh, amazing city this is. Um, he said, "You never go hungry in this city, because you know they're they're." He said, "I could go down to a restaurant right now and knock on the back door, and at certain restaurants they'll give you they'll give you a plate of food, you know. And people understand that we have to take care of each other here." And he just he showed the city, uh, you know. I've been coming here since I was a kid, and while this was not my home growing up. Um, I've always, um, felt connected to the city and the, this beautiful energy that the city has. Um, and he told that story so beautifully, um, through the eyes of somebody who has been without a home for many years. So I guess this leads to the, uh, segue that, uh, is, uh, what is this next book that you're well, okay, that we've so alluded I've got, to. I've got one that's um, finished but not published yet, and I'm I'm having to um, sort out a few things financially to get that over the finish line. But hopefully, that'll be out in about four months, and it's going to be called "Gray Matters: A Portrait of Mental Health in America." And for that one, I went all over the U.S. and I. Um, With the same idea of taking a picture of the subject and then writing a page or so about their story. Yeah, it's a very similar format, um, but it it really um, crossed socioeconomic lines. You know, I talked to um, people that graduated from Harvard for this one, uh, all the way down to people that are living on the streets. And so, mental health was the common mental thread health was here. the common thread, and it went you know from schizophrenia to OCD to you know all of. I tried to cover as much. So, how did you find your subjects for this one? Um, some of it was still kind of just hitting the streets, really? just like walking around and yeah. finding folks. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, um, 
you know, like I went to a coffee shop one time and I, I, I'm constantly talking to folks, you know, I'm, I'm constantly just, you're super easy to talk to. So yeah, I, 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 I could I, see that. I, 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 yes, I have no problem striking up a conversation with somebody. So I, there was this couple next to me and somehow we got started talking about the, what I was working on and he, he told me, he said, I've got really severe OCD and he was a nurse and he, I said, Hey, can we, can we record this? And, um, we did, and we got some shots outside, and it was a really incredible story. I mean, it's it's a it's a really important story about OCD, um, and yeah, he was just somebody I met in a coffee shop, um, and that's how the book got started. Is that how you started? Well, no, I was actually um, I, I had private funding to to work on this one. Got it. But I. Um, but it, that wasn't the incident that made that made you say, no, no, hey, that I wasn't. need to focus no, on. No, that was just an that example just kinda, of how I... Got it. Yeah. Right, so while we're on that, can I... Because mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I always joke that I'm slightly... I, I always say I'm half ADD and half OCD. So this <laughs> is the slightly OCD part of me coming out. And I'm not yeah. trying to make light of OCD, obviously. Is that a story you can tell or is that something you'd rather wait for the book to come out? Um, and if, if, if so, then that's totally fine, dude. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Well, I just don't know that it, it's going to be... That compelling me recalling no just the, no the handful of facts. Yep, yep, but yep, 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 but it's funny you said that because one of the comments that he said was, you know, people jokingly call me OCD at work because I put pins back where they're supposed to go and stuff. But what they don't know is that I'm really OCD and that I'm really. You mean a- they call him ADHD or? No, OCD because he, he was very meticulous about oh, how right. he has to put the pins got it, away got it, at work. Got it, got it. But. No, he was he was OCD, or, Got you know, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, and he he had a thing where he washed his hands constantly, and he yeah. had to wash them uh, even number of times, odd number of times. And then if he forgot how many times he'd washed them, he starts over, starts over, but he okay. didn't know if he was starting in the wrong. I mean, it was just it's maddening. It, what, it's, what, it has yeah. to be, yeah. But nobody knew that side of him at work. All they all they knew was he was a little anal retentive about putting things you know, sure. back where they're supposed to. And they would jokingly say it was OCD. So anyway, um, that book hopefully will come out in about four or five months. And, and, and it sounded like you were also saying that there's another book that's lurking as well. That's, uh, am I yeah. intuiting that correctly? Yeah, I've, I've decided to spend a significant amount of time here in New Orleans because it's such an important city to me. Um, I feel like the most compelling and special place in the south um, I, I would agree with you i mean it really it imagine really all is. the listeners here at whiv <laughs> yeah. would agree with that yeah yeah prove me wrong somebody <laughs> um now it's 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 special and it's a special energy special people and i intend to tell the story of the city through people that i talk to and um so i'm starting on that immediately and nolan really was the first one of those people um right and then and, i've got that, a bunch of other queued up and, and, and that's you know and 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 if you are if you'd like to tell more i'd love to hear more but i do want to mm-hmm. say the idea of being able to tell like what you just said with nolan's story was this perfect encapsulation that anybody who lives in new orleans would be like oh yeah i could see that happening right because that idea of you knock on the back of a restaurant door and somebody comes out and they're like you know you're like you need your hands out can i get some food it's so easy for me to see somebody like yeah let me get on that and then they'll just slop some you know or throw some food onto a, a plate and then just hand it over because that's the sort of graciousness that is the city, yeah. but I would have never seen it from the eyes of Nolan. Right, right. Right. I would have seen it through my middle class, you know, male privileged 
perspective yeah. of of seeing it. Yeah. And so the and it, and this speaks to the importance of your work. And this is obviously why I stopped and picked up your book. You know, at this Christmas art mark right. several months ago was because the way that you were telling the stories was such a interesting and new way, innovative. Innovative way of doing that. Are there other stories that you can tell us about with the new book about the New Orleans one? Um, you know, I've got one that I haven't shared yet online, and it'll be shared probably later this week. Okay, and it's about Waylon. Uh, his name is Waylon. Um, and I'm not gonna. I won't tell all the story, but sure. it was very heavily about Katrina and okay. um, how you know he lost some people that were really important to him during that during that tragedy. Um, and what is life's like now, you know? And, um, so I think Katrina will come up a lot and the book is not going to be about Katrina, but it's such a, an important turning point for so many people. When you ask somebody, and this is what I normally ask people is tell me about something that really changed your life or a person that really changed your life. I want the, the turning point stuff, you know? And I think that is for a lot of people in the city. I mean, it's, um, I interviewed somebody else in Nashville one time and she was from New Orleans and she said something like to the effect of, you know, everybody from New Orleans shares this collective PTSD, um, that, that stems from that, that period. Um, so anyway, that's his story and, and I won't tell too much more of it cause it's in depth and it's really powerful, but that'll be coming out later this week. And more information about that can be found on Instagram and yeah, Facebook Instagram, the Hidden the South. Hidden South. The Hidden South. Um, and I also post them on my website, thehiddensouth.com. Got it. Yeah. So I, I guess just real quickly, when you sit down with somebody and you flip on the, the microphone and you start recording people, mm-hmm. is that what you usually ask people is tell me, is that how you get them to start talking is tell me something that was meaningful or impactful about your life? Yeah. What changed your life? Who changed your life? What, what event really changed your life for better or worse? Right. And then for the hidden South, how did you get to some of these stories that were so incredibly, I'm going to use the word raw again, cause yeah. and, and so real, that were surrounding, I mean, because people were telling you incredibly intimate, I guess that, you know, that's another good point that I hadn't thought about, you know, so part of my job as an STD doctor, cause mm-hmm. that's what I do. I, so, it, you know, in my quick 15 minute visit with you, I have to get you to like me, right? I have to get you to trust me. Yeah. And then I have to start asking you about who you have sex with or how you have sex. Sure. And then, so I can kind of understand what, you know, what kind of diagnosis to make and then ultimately how to treat you. Right. right. And so and and over the years, I've gotten pretty good at, at doing that. It's a skill that I've learned. I would imagine that that's probably not unlike what you experience as well, because the stories that people were telling you were that level of intimacy that I usually hear with a door that's closed. You know, right. the sexual abuse, the addiction, um, the very uh, vul- the positions that people that are usually vulnerable are more likely to put themselves in repeatedly, you know, that got mm-hmm. them to the situation that they're in. Uh, so, yeah, how, how did you how did you do that? How did, how did you get folks to talk like that? I, I don't get them to. I just give them the opportunity suppose, yeah, to. I mean, right. I, or that, I guess that was poorly phrased. No. Well, I mean. That's exactly how everybody phrases it. That's it. I think that there's like, I, I think that people think that there's some magic thing, but really I think all that I do is give them the opportunity to tell their story. And I think I'm open with my story and that helps people open up. I think that, um, 
people can sense that I'm not judging them. That's a, a big deal or that I'm trying to fix them. You know, I'm not there to, to save them or anything like that. I'm just there to listen. And I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about me that makes all that come across, but I do think those are the elements that that make somebody feel comfortable talking to me. Um, so after all of these, uh, after all of the interviews that you've done and all the experiences, all the people you've sat and talked to, right. I am sure that if you take a big step back away from your body of work and all the interviews that you've talked to and listen to all this pain, what do you think has driven all of it and and i'm kind of starting to shift the conversation over to kind of society's ills if you will like why is it that we you know the the we find that there's the commonalities of addiction in a lot of these stories or sexual abuse i just i mean have you sat down and thought about how our society exists compared to other industrialized society and may that may not have these level of problems uh as well do you do you have a sense of what I'm asking? Or? Yeah, I mean, I I hate to say the same thing, but I, I keep finding that it goes back to connection. Um, There's a study done called Rat Park. I'm not sure if you're familiar yes, with it Yes, I am familiar with yeah. it. This is where they put in the water cocaine, mm-hmm. for, and if the rat was by itself, it would like sit and, yeah, and suck down that water, but yeah. if there was other rat friends around rat they, friends, and toys were, were, and yeah. the spinning wheel and stuff. Yeah. yeah. In other words, if a rat was in a cage by itself, it would normally OD, you know, over time, it would just take too much of the drug. Um, if it was in an environment where it was happy and where it was fulfilled and where it had a good life. Yeah. What a great, yeah. I, yeah. I need to remember that study more often. Rat park <laughs> is a, is a powerful study. And, and I think that we, human rats are the same way. I mean, right. we are, um, we're all, we're all mammals. Yeah. I mean, we, we want human connection. We want to have meaningfulness. We want to have purpose. You know, you go to a lot of neighborhoods in this country right now and their options are either a, a really bad job paying really poor money or dealing drugs or, or being a sex worker of some type. I mean, the options aren't great, and we've created the society, and it's our job to, to create a better one. Right. Can, do you mind if I ask how old you are? I'm 47. So you and I are more or less the same age. I'm 50. Yeah. So this happened, like, you saw it happen as, as I did. Right. Right? I mean, we saw it happen. I mean, I, I, I look at the 80s as being the turning point. You know, I, I, you know, I was, I was paying attention to politics with, with, with Carter, but then with Reagan, I saw that shift started to happen and in, and, and in these towns where there was industry mm-hmm. that all that industry got moved away. Yeah. Right. Got shipped overseas. So now people didn't have jobs, right. And there was no, uh, there was no manufacturing, which is what this country was very, very good at, at doing at one point. And what we shipped those out and we shipped in cocaine right. in, in all of its various forms. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, people are out there killing pain is what they're doing. You know, they're in pain and they're they're killing pain to the point of becoming addicted to whatever their their drug of choice is. Uh, and I think that's as simple as, you know, that's really simplifying it. But that is... I think that's a very, very apt simplification. I don't think it's yeah. simplifying at all. I think you're right. I think that they're using painkillers. Yeah. To kill pain, sure, and which is why OxyContin was so that's so exactly right successful because that's exactly right they offered something and you know they obviously they lied for years about how addictive their product right. was but they offered this thing that kills pain and you can you can you can use it forever and it's fine right and and, and let me just say that I actually was the recipient 
mm-hmm. of those lies, right? I mean, sure. I, yeah. I was, so let me tell you from a doctor's perspective how that worked. Mm-hmm. So when I was a resident, when I was in medical school and resident in the late, late 90s, I wrapped up medical school and started residency in the late 90s. The idea of sending somebody home with oral morphine was just not even done. Oral I mean, heroin. Or, right. yeah, yeah, oral heroin. There <laughs> right. you go, really, right? It's what it is, it's right? Really You're absolutely is, yeah. right. And the idea of sending somebody home with all these medications just didn't exist. I mean, maybe if you had a surgical procedure, but then the surgeon would come in, they'd write the prescription, and, and it was you, a big deal. You, it was a big deal right. to send somebody home with this stuff. Yeah. And then somewhere kind of in the early part of my career, they started counting. Um, a pain as they would refer to it as the fifth vital sign, right. right? But you could measure a heart rate. Like I could put my my stethoscope over your heart and listen to the number of beats. You can't you can't tell me what that is. Right. And your respirations or your temperature or your blood pressure. That's all stuff that you can measure. But the idea of your pain as a vital sign. So you you know if you were in pain because you were withdrawing. That's not the pain that we were looking for. Right. We were looking for, are you in acute abdominal pain? Are you have terrible headache or eye pain? You know, pain that needs to be treated. And and so what ended up happening was that doctors were then, were, their reimbursements were tied into whether or not they were responding to pain as a vital sign and whether or not the evaluations that you were getting from, from folks, the surveys. And so the pendulum swung rapidly in the other direction. And let's make no bones about it. I, you know, I hear people and I hear the media talk about how doctors were the, the you know, they were the ones that were writing all these prescriptions. And it, Listen, take it from somebody who was there and experienced it. It it was, there was a hard pressure to be more kind of quote unquote liberal with with pain meds. And they were telling, like you just said, Brent, uh, that the medications we were told over and over again were not addictive. And boy, was that. A huge, huge lie. And we're at a point now where we're seeing, I think in 2017, 72,000 overdose deaths from opioids. So there's so much opioid overdosing that's happening that it's pulling down the life expectancy of of Americans, which has always gone up and has never come come down yeah. and so that's, and so in the poorest neighborhoods um, we're seeing that some, the most. Some, yeah and 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 somebody who is um selling heroin in those neighborhoods is looking at umpteen years of of prison time but not a single ceo or or yep. a person at the top of purdue pharma will ever do a day in jail um and that is a crime yeah yeah, it, you know, it's it's it, it, you you know i think i've heard somebody say that you you know if you rob a bank uh, if you go in and rob a bank at a teller, you'll do time. But if you rob a bank from a white collar perspective, oh, yeah. you'll just get accolades. Yeah, right. Yeah, you'll you'll, 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 you'll get a bonus. Right. <laughs> you'll, you'll get to be the CEO. You, you, you get, of right. That's exactly yeah, right. right. You get a golden parachute. Yeah, exactly. uh, and uh, yeah, it's really it, you know the stories that you capture in the Hidden South. Uh, do you have names for the other two books that I can or well, do, or do uh, we not the, have names the second for them? one is. Named Gray Matters. Gray Matters. Yes, you mentioned of, that. Right, yeah, right, the, right. the third one is just beginning, and I, I um, codenamed Down on Decatur, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. Down on Decatur. Down I love on it. Decatur. I love it. Uh, 
we got to start wrapping up uh, now. Uh, I, fast hour. I know. I, it's, everyone says the same thing. Well, just to give you guys a little insight, when Brent came on, he's like, I've never done an hour. And I'm like, oh, it'll. <laughs> <laughs> ready to do another one. <laughs> right. It, it's it, got it, a doc. It, 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 it flies by. Uh, <sighs> any any parting thoughts? I mean, any wisdoms? Any anything? I mean, what, like, what surprised you the most in the last couple of years that you've been doing this? What, what continues to surprise you? I mean, you know. You know, I, I think, um, I don't know what surprises me the most, really. I, I think ignorance is, is what surprises me the most. And I think part of that is because I've been embedded in um, what I consider to be the things that are more, that have more truth in them. It just surprises me when there are so many people still walking around that um, are ignorant, for example, that, that, Oxycontin is like one molecule away from heroin, you know, or, or things like that. And I think that, um, I think that people that still think that, that prison systems are the place to house mental people that, that have mental health issues. I, I, that backwards way of thinking is perplexing to me. Right. Um, you know, I, I've been moving into the idea that this is not actually a bug of the, of the system, but it's a feature yeah. of the system. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that, that to be a policymaker, you yeah. can't think like you or you and I. Yeah. Do yeah. You, and I know that yeah. that's a dark and a conspiratorial way of thinking, but like, why is it that we don't teach sex ed in Louisiana or in Texas? Just, I mean, think about that. Like it's dumb, 20, it's, right. That, that's, that's, ex- yeah. do you know what the number one mental health institution in California is? It's the penal institution. Yeah. It's the LA yeah. County jail. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it is absolutely. I've, I interviewed somebody the other day who um, was here in New Orleans and spent six months in the the uh, the New Orleans jail and couldn't get his meds and couldn't. Uh, I mean, it was just he got abused that the, whole six months. The Justice Center. Laugh yeah. with me. How right. Orwellian. No, it's, 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 yeah, <laughs> the, the horrible things we do in the, the Bible Belt is right. Um, it's incredible, and and in my and again the 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 uh, the opinions that you've heard today have all have been of mine, Mark Allendary, and of Brent Walker's. They have not represented the radio station or the board of directors uh, of Nesita. The the but I will say this: I think that a lot of it has rooted in racism. And when you look at the two cardinal sins of America, one was stealing the land from the the people, the First Nation peoples that were here, and then then uh, of white people that then stole. Uh, people from Africa and then built a massive economic engine on the backs of unpaid uh, labor at the, uh, uh, w- with uh, amazing um, punishment and uh, and the rape uh, uh, that, that occurred of uh, the first black people that came. You know, and they were talking about, I think Elizabeth Warren, who's running for president right now, is talking about reparations. I forget who was saying that reparations are appropriate. And I strongly believe that reparations are appropriate because I think that there's no other way that we're going to stop this this embedded racism that lives in our in our country, uh, this white supremacy that we see until we see that all redlining is is been reversed. The redlining is the practice where the government officially separated neighborhoods you know right. that separated black brown uh and white uh, neighborhoods uh until we see college admissions be fair all across the board uh jobs are fair all across the board and one thing that whiv really stands for and the reason why i started this radio station was to have media that really focused on social economic environmental and racial justice and i think that's what i see uh that need to be 
in the form of reparations to both First Nations people and to the African American population as well. Yeah, I, I, if I could just say this real yes. quick, I, I believe that the the one of the things that Martin Luther King Jr. had planned uh, before he was executed was uniting black and white poor people. Yes, in yes, a march. that's exactly right. And that's I think exactly that, right. I think that we are still. Um, if we can find a way to do that, unite poor people, poor people's campaign. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I, I, th- I think the, the powers that be don't have a chance against that. And I think that they knew that at the time. That's yes. Yeah. So, so <laughs> that is exactly I, I correct. Is important, but I believe if we can get beyond that and if we can, um, kind of join together, I, we can, we can move mountains. I a hundred percent agree with you. Uh, it has been a, uh, a pleasure really has a uh, Brent Walker, uh, who is the author and photographer. Uh, but his book that we've been talking about has been the hidden South. Uh, more information about that can be found at the hidden It's an amazing, uh, basically portrait of a hundred people in the South and their stories that center around um, uh, uh, drug abuse, uh, uh, sexual abuse, uh, uh, infectious diseases, HIV and hepatitis C play prominently in the book as well and really focuses on the pain of people that live in in, in the South. His next book uh, is uh, Gray Matters, which is the story of mental health across the U.S. And a third book uh, that is codenamed Down on Decatur, which is going to be the story of folks uh, from New Orleans and uh, I am hopeful that after this hour I've convinced Brent that he should uh, look to WHIV as a place where he can uh, have a home for some of his artwork as well because I think these stories that you have would make great great audio stories as well and uh, that's that's uh, something I just really it has been a pleasure to really be here and talk with you about all this it's really it's really been a pleasure it's been a pleasure for me too thanks for having me thank you so much resistance radio is coming right up next guys seriously check out Brent's work at thehiddensouth.com or check him out on social media at the hidden south thank you guys resistance radio is coming right up